Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am. I am joined as I am always joined by the majestic, mature, and meticulous Mad Wizard Merwin. What's up, Sean? I think we have determined that I am only half of an ass today. Yes, I and I am the other half of that, that rear end because, you know, we're PG-13. Yeah, so between the two of us, we, we're, we're fully together and we are ready to do a D&D podcast. We are, in fact, and with that bit of ridiculousness out of the way, let's get into our announcements. So a new issue of Dragon Plus came out, John. Every issue, I think, keeps getting better. It does. Great stuff. I mean, yes, it's a little bit of ads, but it's also great content the, the more it comes out. Oh, come on. This is like so... It, it, it is all self-serving, right? It's supposed to be, though, in sure. a lot of ways. I mean... I, Everything in Dragon Magazine should be pointing back to something D&D related. Right. So, of course, it's going to be self-serving, but that's okay, because the content inside of the self-serving is very, very good content. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, if you want to know about D&D, it's there. Well, I was super excited when I saw the cover, which is the uh, Acquisitions Incorporated preview with some more great art um, in that Acquisitions Incorporated Penny Arcade style. Um, mm -hmm. which is super cool, uh, has a person standing at an easel uh, pointing like a business uh, meeting to uh, a Venn diagram of Dungeons and Dragons. It's just, it's pretty neat. Yeah, that that is really quite cool. I, I very much enjoyed that. Um, I picked out some of the things that I might have wanted to highlight. I didn't pick out everything because there's a lot of stuff in it. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, did you have anything that you wanted to highlight or should I just kind of start talking about you, it? There's, you, there's you a part it. towards the end that I really want to talk about. You do it. All right. So um, the In the Works article, this was a really great interview with John Swatarski. Swatarski? Sw yeah. yeah, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Swatarski? Yeah. About converting old D&D mods to 5e and his process, and a lot of it's about how he dealt with some of the stuff inside of the uh, the Saltmarsh book. Mm -hmm. So that's a really good read. I very much enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, it's great. It's great just to see his process, but it's great if you are going to go out and do that as well with some maybe older adventures that, that you liked or that you found. Uh, it It's great uh, advice. It's true. It's very true. Um, another thing that I liked in there was that uh, for, for fans of Rick and Morty, which I'm a huge Rick and Morty fan, I very much love that cartoon, uh, there are character sheets in there of Morty, Summer, Beth, and Jerry, and also it talks about the trade paperback of the D&D Rick and Morty story. The trade paperback is out there now, instead mm -hmm. of just the individual issues. Uh, I don't know if you've ever watched an episode of Rick and Morty, Sean. I have not. Uh, I highly recommend it, like because eventually, like around episode five, the Cronenberg the episode, it, it gets like kind of heavy and i'm like wow this is more than just a dumb cartoon yeah um the another thing they did a preview of the stranger things starter set in an interview with some of the people who worked on it mm -hmm. uh it's fascinating because this whole product is supposed to be written like it's been written by uh by mikey the character by mike the character right so uh, a lot of the art in there is like that black and white line art and it's got um different character classes in there from the uh not necessarily what was in the original story. Like, there's a bard inside of that, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Which is a more complex character than the four starting character classes. Right. 
Um, so that's another thing. Now, this is the thing that I really kind of wanted to delve into, Sean. I don't know if you read any of this stuff or know about any of this stuff about how they're going to have um, non-seasonal play for AL and seasonal play for AL now. Correct. This I now, am, this is pretty cool. Yeah, this I am very aware of. All right, so let's let's talk about how this kind of works. I'm sure a bunch of our listeners are fascinated by this topic too, or or angry about this topic, or shaking their heads about this topic, or any number of things about this topic. I imagine. Right, and just just so you know, uh, just so our listeners know, later on in this episode, I will be interviewing Amy Dezura, who is one of the Adventures League admins. So if we cover any uh, ground here, we may also cover it there. But uh, so that's just your just your heads up. Thanks. Fantastic. Yep. Because we haven't had that interview done yet. Like you're hearing, we're recording this before the interview. <laughs> Correct. Um, so non-seasonal AL play, there's a new storyline that is non-seasonal called Dreams of the Red Wizards, mm-hmm. which is uh, kind of the fallout and based on the, the, the Red Wizard epic and the community explosion about the Red Wizards of Thay and how that was like a community created kind of situation. Yeah. And well, can, can, can I step back even further? Sure, go ahead. J- just for people who don't might not know about the Adventures League. Um, so the Adventures League is an organized play campaign that's official organized play campaign that's run by Wizards of the Coast. And there's a team of Adventures League admins who handle, you know, the creation of that content, the distribution of that content, the planning, all of that. So the the setup for the Adventures League is every season um, up to this point has matched the hardcover adventure release of Wizards of the Coast. And so the rhythm of the campaign has been, you know, every season there's a new storyline. And sometimes a season might only be eight months. Sometimes it might be two years. Uh, a lot depends on the what, what was released in that hardcover. And so uh, we, we are now through eight seasons of of the campaign. And uh, when you get a campaign that goes on that long, personally, from my experience as an organized play administrator for previous campaigns, when you have a campaign go on that long, there gets to be problems with the campaign in many different areas. Um, I think personally that any sort of organized play campaign after about four or five years should be stopped and restarted Um, for, again, a ton of reasons, uh, most of them to fix these problems that happen with this campaign bloat uh, that you get. Mm -hmm. So I I need to say that uh, just to give this overview of not just what what we're talking about when we talk about seasons and what we talk about. Uh, you know storylines, but my own experiences that will di- that will flavor what I'm going to say later. So I, I just wanted to get that out of the way. Now you go ahead, Chris. So uh, the non-seasonal play stuff. Um, mm-hmm. These are storylines that are going to occur over the course of time, so that you can play them with characters for more than one year and experience mm-hmm. them. Right. Um, that's what this Dreams of the Red Wizards is. And the other cool thing I think about it, and I think probably the coolest thing about it, is that they're going to take their time with them so that when an adventure set gets written and played, that those play experiences will influence the the, the next sets of adventures. Sure. Right. So, what, you know, what Chris said is true. They, they are introducing this new non-seasonal storyline. Um, 
And the other thing that they are going to do is introduce what they're calling seasonality. Yeah, to, this to is kind of neat, too. To the campaign. So what that means is previously you could play your character in any season adventure or any adventure that doesn't have even have a season um, and get all the benefits, all the rewards, and so on. Um, what happens sometimes when you do that is you lose the cohesion of a story in a in a large percentage of the player base. So people will take their character, play through two adventures from season four, and then go back and play three adventures from season one, and then and they're jumping all over the place. And there's no there's no community story that's being told. Um, Another thing that is a problem is you will get players who start mining the adventures only for the rewards to optimize their characters. And then when new players come in, you have these players who have at fourth level, you know, staves of power. And it turns off these new players to the campaign. So what seasonality will do is it will you can still play any character anywhere anytime but you will not get story awards or unlocks if you play a character that's created in one season in a different season so starting in season 9 you can create a new season 9 character you can get all the rewards uh, all the unlocks and story awards for season 9 and for non-season uh, adventures but you can't go back and play in the season one through eight adventures uh, and get those unlocks and story awards. You can still get experience, uh, advancement, renown, all those other uh, treasure points. You just can't unlock those magic items or get those story awards. You can experience the story parts of it, but you can't get any of the, re the story-styled rewards from those things. Right, or unlock any magic items from those adventures. Yes, because um, they could unbalance things. Exactly, exactly. And similarly, you can go back and you can create, even now you could say, okay, I'm going to create a Season 1 through 8 character, a pre-Season 9 character. And you can play and get unlocks, in, in, in story awards in any season one through eight adventure, you just can't go forward into season nine and get unlocks and story awards. Again, yeah. still play them, no problem. Just can't unlock um, magic items or get story awards. So, you know, it's it's not stopping you from playing, right? It's just trying to even out that uh, story flow with the story awards and curb the worst tendencies of some players to ruin other people's experiences for their own character optimization desires. And I think it's great. I, I wish that they had done this from the start uh, rather than waiting this long to do it because whether it's an organized play campaign or a home campaign, for me, in my experience, and it's a pretty broad experience, magic items and character power are the things that crush campaigns the most, mm -hmm. uh, that ruin campaigns. And 
we as organized play administrators, and I'm saying we since I, I am not an AL admin at this point, but I was in the past, we, we, we want to give players the things they want, whether it's good for the campaign or not. And so when they started allowing trading of magic items, I cringed because I could see what was coming. And when they started doing Fai Chen's where you could buy magic items, I cringed because I knew where this was going. And it's hard to say no to that when you see people so excited about it. And, you know, in at a convention, there's a line, you know, 50 people long waiting to get to Fai Chen's to buy that magic item they want. And it's hard to say no, but for the long-term health of these campaigns, it's important that the administrators do say no. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think these are interesting and um, good changes for um, Adventures League. Yep. And so that will start with Season 9. So if you start a Season 9 character, um, you can play all of the Season 9 adventures. You can, again, play any content that's not tied to a season which is this uh, Red Wizards campaign. It's also any CCC adventure uh, that you want. And it's also, um, I think the hardcover book counts as, as the season. And um, there are other adventures, some, some non-seasonal adventures, uh, like the Guild Adept adventures. Most of them are non-seasonal, so you could play those and get the unlocks and story awards. Uh, so I think overall it's a good compromise rather than just stopping the campaign fully. Um, you're still letting people play the characters that they've they've had. Um, they just need to decide whether magic items are more important or playing in the campaign is more important is basically what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Anyway, that's my thoughts. Uh, I mean, you said everything I was going to say, so it's fine. Okay, cool. <laughs> what Sean said, I say that too. Mm-hmm. All right, so, I mean, that's everything I kind of wanted to touch on in Dragon Plus. There's way more in it than that. Oh, yeah. I mean, there is uh, there is a an interview with the uh, musician from, what's the group? I don't know. I don't have it up right now. Oh, I can't remember. I have it up, and it's not telling. Uh, who put out the D&D album, basically. Uh, interview with him. There is fiction. There is the uh, Best of the DMs Guild which column which I write, uh, which looks mm-hmm. at more nautical themed uh, adventures and content, and has yeah, the, a there's a giant interview at the top of it though. Yep, with Chris Lindsay, um, mm-hmm. you know, who's in charge of he's a product marketing specialist for Wizards. Uh, so yeah, all of that is in there, and I would suggest giving it a glance. Very nice. I agree. I, I totally agree because it's free. You can just go read it. Yep. Uh, next thing, Wizards of the Coast opens a new studio in Austin, Texas. That was the thing that happened. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty surprising. And at first, there was some confusion because people thought, well, they already have a D&D uh, team, so what are they doing? And what it came down to later is that this new studio uh, being run by James Olin, who you may know as a worker at BioWare and EA who worked on uh, Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 2, Neverwinter Nights, um, Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, Dragon Age Origins, all of those. Um, he's cre- he is the head of this new studio, and they are going to be working on new IP, not Magic, not D&D, 
um, not anything that the other parts of Wizards are working on. So this is something that's going to be brand new. And by it's the not- way, oh, go ahead. by the way, when you say those games, like those are like the huge heavy hitters of like role playing game isometric, yeah, games, right? Like or like uh, converting sort of. Uh, the idea of the tabletop role-playing game to video game play. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it, Baldur's Gate and Knights of the Old Republic are, are classics. And Dragon Age Origins is, is a, also a very good game. Um, not a, a lot of people don't think it's as good as some of the previous in, in addition, uh, previous installments of it, but uh, still, also a heavy hitter. Yeah, I mean, that's huge. And it, at first it wasn't clear, and it's still not 100% clear um, whether they're going to be working on, you know, video games or RPGs or both. Uh, so it's well, just... Go ahead. Here's what, If they're working on original IPs, that means they're working on developing original properties to be put into all of those things. Because right. as we know, Wizards of the Coast, especially with Magic and Dungeons and & Dragons, are not uh, singular platformed anymore. They do lots of different things. True. Yep. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. I agree. I'm, uh, I'm very curious as to see what they, yeah. they kind of... Put together to bring to market. Yep, I am super excited. So we'll see. We'll see where that. Uh, we'll keep. We'll keep an eye on any news related to that. All right. So, um, Sean, if I was looking to back a Kickstarter that had you know dark fantasy adventure, undead plagues, having to go into the underworld to deal with stuff, maybe there's some ghouls and other things, vampires and whatnot. What? What? what, what where would I go look for that? You know, Chris, that's a great question. And where I would go personally is the Cobalt Press Kickstarter that just came out called Empire of the Ghouls. I mean, um, just came out and has already doubled its funding goal of $20,000. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to, if it doesn't hit six digits, I'll be very surprised. I mean, um, it'll hit six digits. Don't yeah. you worry, your pretty little head. Yep. So, <laughs> so this this is one of those projects where I saw it and I was like, boy, I wish I was working on this. Um, because this is one of my favorite... Midgard related uh, settings with within the Midgard setting from Cobalt Press. Wait, wait a minute! Uh, you're not working on it? No, no. Why I not? I, I I don't know. I wish I were. Uh, I, I mean, the team they have is incredible. So, hey, hey Wolfgang, if you get a stretch goal or two, <laughs> yeah, and you're listening to this, or somebody's listening to this that 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 knows Wolfgang, Sean wants to work on it. Maybe you should give him a call. He's really good at this stuff. Yeah, it the 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 team they have is is incredible. I would just water it down. Uh, so, because I mean, what they're putting out is is even before the stretch goals is is amazing. Um, first of all, you get a ad- full adventure that goes from levels one to thirteen. So that right there is oh, thank you very much. Uh, I will take some. And if you don't know, the Empire of the Ghouls is a is a civilized empire of undead, if you will. Um, it's so it's not just underdark, crazy, savage. You know, fill in the blank with this nameless threat. This is like a civilized undead society in the Underdark um, that is a much bigger threat than just your random crazy undead necromancer running around um, creating an army. So you start with that adventure, 1 to 13, which, you know, sold right there. Then you also get an Underworld Player's Guide full of new player options, looking at underworld races, uh, new subclasses, backgrounds, undead-themed spells. And then you also get an additional book of um, underworld layers, so additional encounters. So if you're 
if you're familiar with um, the Eldritch Layers book or the Creature Codex Layers book, it'll be something like that. And depending on how how well the funding goes, which I think will be very, very well, um, this could contain like 5 to 12 or even more encounters depending on the stretch goals. So uh, for me, this is like sold. This is if, – if I could write a campaign, um, I would write something like this. So, you know, this I'm super excited. I can't wait. I've backed it and I am waiting to see how it goes. Yeah, it's, it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much all I have to say about it is it looks amazing. Yep. And there's a link, of course, in our in our show notes uh, to, to that. Or you could just go to Kickstarter, uh, search for Cobalt Press, and it will be the Empire of the Ghouls Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, we are now going to take a short break from what we're doing because Sean is now going to have an interview with uh, AL administrator Amy Lynn DeZura. Let's do it. And so I am here with the amazing Amy Lynn DeZura, the newest Adventures League admin. Yay, that's me. That is that you. Is Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. I know when you first became an admin, I said, would you please come on the show? And then things happened and life got in the way. But here we are. That is, we can finally do that it. That is life. That is how my life has been since uh, uh, <laughs> November 1st. <laughs> that, that sounds uh, very reasonable, uh, given what you were thrown into. So for all the listeners out there uh, who may not be aware of who you are, even though I have talked about you in the, on the show before, could you uh, let us know your background? Absolutely. Um, I am the newest community manager for the D&D Adventures League. So um, I started in November, and it's it's kind of amazing. Um, I never expected in my gaming career to to be here. Um, my husband and I started playing Adventures League four or five years ago. It was season two um, because we were new to the Philadelphia area. I was new to the Philadelphia area, and um, we wanted to make friends. So we started looking into ways that we could meet the kind of people that we would want to be friends with. Um, Mm -hmm. and my husband, he's like, Hey, so, uh, you know, call me crazy, but would you want to try this? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So we found a, uh, a local gaming convention called Philly games con. And I went and I played my first adventures league and it was one of your adventures. Actually, (laughs) it was, (laughs) and and still you stayed. I did. Amazing. Um, it was a city of danger and, Mm -hmm. Um, I was eaten by a giant frog and giant badgers fell on me and I was hooked. And so I'm like, okay, okay, Chris, uh, when are we going to do this again? So we, and you know, I think, I I think just, just to, to, to dwell on that for a second, you know, that's great to have someone like you who came into, you know, the Adventures League as a way to meet new people from a new area. And so you can see how new players um, feel when they're coming into a situation like that and making the campaign more welcoming to to people like that. I think that might be why um, I've gotten involved in AL the way that I have. Um, I'm, I'm not primarily a DM. I'm not primarily even a player, although I do have a weekly game. I love being the greeter when I when I work at Dragon Con or when I work at or, uh, Origins. I love working HQ and I love 
introducing this game to people and who are unsure they're like hey what's this about and i have i have my little 30 second spiel and you know if even if they don't want to play a game right then like you know you can go i'll find you a table you can sit you can just watch and see if it's for you um Mm -hmm. and that that game at philly games con has completely changed the course of my life because here i am full imposter syndrome talking to you (laughs) (laughs) on the internet um and being being part of this amazing community um and i've met so many people and so many just so many good friends that i can't imagine you know not knowing all because of this game that we all love yeah, I mean, the story is the same for me. You can take it back 20 years, you know, but it's the same sort of deal where I was at a changing point in my life and the 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 way I would meet new people would be through gaming and then all my adult friends basically since then have come through this. So I, I completely feel your story. Uh, you know, it's it's more recent for you, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it, it's the same thing. And you, you mentioned that you don't DM a lot, but... I think I remember you have started DMing now, uh, you know, since your introduction. I have. To, uh, to the Adventures League, yeah. Um, I had previously um, uh, only DMs for, for our weekly group, but starting at Origins last year, um, I started publicly DMing, and that is an entirely different experience. And I have so much respect for everyone who's been doing it um, for longer than that, but it's, it's intense and you're just, you're there and you're with new people and you're improving and it's, it's a rush, but it's exhausting. Um. It's terribly exhausting. I, I'm to the point now where I get, I try to only do like two hour adventures Mm -hmm. because it is, it's, it's like running a marathon you know, it's a four-hour marathon, but you're sprinting the whole time. It is. I really yeah. appreciate how how different um, everything can be from from session to session. I ran a lot of the uh, the Moonshay uh, one ones at Origins last year, and they're mm. you know two-hour adventures. So I had a right. a high table turnover. It was so fun. Every session went completely differently. You know, there's the overarching. You know, these are the points that you have to hit, but the players and the NPCs just different every time and I kind of love that. Mm-hmm. What what was your experience in D&D before the Adventures League? Did you play a lot or a little or not at all? Um I had never played before. Okay. Yeah, so this was this was completely new to me. Wow. Um That's great. I've been big into gaming otherwise. Uh I grew up playing like Nintendo games and board games and mm-hmm. card games, so um, mm-hmm. I was familiar with it. I had friends who played, but didn't have that time to devote to it. Um, my husband has been a, a, a great resource because he's been playing since third edition. And so when I have questions, you know, like sometimes he goes into the spiel, well, this is how it used to be. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, honey, I love you, but, but it's, it's a background. Yeah. It's, it's so that I do have, you know, I do enjoy those conversations with him so I can learn where things are coming so I can, you know, learn where things are going and why they've changed and how they've changed. Right. Experience is great as long as it's relevant to what is coming from now, you know, forward. And if it's not, then 
great, but uh, you know, it doesn't help. Absolutely. Some of his stories are like, well, in the old days, I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to give you 30 yep. seconds and then we're done. <laughs> and I think that's why it's important in, uh, in the Adventures League, in the admin team, you know, you have people that have been doing it for years and years like Greg, uh, Greg Marks and like Claire Hoffman. But you also have people who are new uh, to both D&D and to this organized play uh, experience like uh, Lisa Chen and you uh, to to get the full spectrum of the people that you're trying to service with this program. Oh, absolutely. Um, the We have a, an admin chat and a lot of it is talking about how um, how things were and how things want to be and sort of comparing you know the feedback that we're getting from the community um you know why isn't it like this and why isn't it like that and greg and claire have that well we tried these in the living campaigns and these these are the results that we saw and it's like okay Mm -hmm. you know do we want to give that another chance do we want to see how it is different with uh, a newer player base do we just not even want to go down that road um and it's it's the the other admins are an amazing resource yeah so what has your experience been like? Um, and in November, you you got this new position, um, and was it hit the ground running? Did, did, were you brought in gently, or was it th- thrown to the wolves, as it were? <laughs> um, it, was, it was sort of, we'll go with trial by fire. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone was super welcoming and amazing, and... It, it did take me a little while to get up to speed because at the beginning it's like, okay, I'm just going to try and uh, do what I can to make the other admin's jobs easier. Um, so I jumped right into the social media answering questions because that's what I'm comfortable doing and what I sort of feel that I'm, I'm good at um, from practice, you know, working HQ at events and uh, welcoming new players. So that's, that's sort of where I thrived. And uh, luckily... Uh, they put me in the community position and it's been pretty great since then. I've really enjoyed getting to know um, faces in the Facebook group and meeting people at Winter Fantasy and putting names with faces and players and stories. And uh, it's a little surreal. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of moments where a lot of pinch me moments, but so far so good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think you came in at, you know, at a good time, but also at a rough time, because, you know, a, a, an organized play campaign like the Adventurers League is is many things, right? It's it's a it's a way to to give players something cool to do, but it's also a, a marketing tool for you know the company that runs it, whether it's Wizards of the Coast or any other company that runs a similar campaign. And so the the desires of the players don't always match or well I can't even say that because the player base is so diverse that there are no there's no single need, right? There's lots of different wants and desires, but you know the the needs of the company versus the wants of the players sometimes don't mesh and so when you're coming to a, a a campaign like this, it's already however many years in, right? Six years or whatever. Yes. Uh, you already have this net mangled mess of, of thread all tied together that you have to unknot um, to start with. And then, uh, you know, you're, you're coming in as the, the fresh face of the group to, to deal with all that. I, I do not envy you <laughs> your, your job there. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was a little, um, Having been active in the community, seeing seeing it happen and then 
coming into it and actively having hopefully a chance to influence the way things are going and interface with the community. Um, it's It's been a challenge, um, especially coming in after the controversial uh, changes that launched with season eight. Um, mm-hmm. But I think overall it's, it's important. It's important to me that everyone in the community has their opportunity to be heard and that we do take that feedback and present it to, um, to the rest of the admin team, to our contacts at wizards. And unfortunately we're not going to be able to make everyone happy, but it's going to be my goal to make everyone understand as best as we can why the changes are happening. I mean, sometimes I might not have a good answer, um, but I'm going to try and find out. Um, yeah. And AL can't, can't like you said, be everything for everyone, but we want it to be something for for someone and um, mm-hmm. for as many people as we can. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, – I'm going to give you the back-in-my-day talk now. But, <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've done this for a few years, not with AL, but with previous campaigns. And if I had a nickel for every time a change was made in a campaign – and there was the outcry of you have just ruined and you fill in the blank with living Greyhawk or living forgotten realms or Zendric expeditions or, you know, whatever campaign they're talking about. Um, I would have a lot of nickels and everyone is like, you know, this is it. This is, I'm never going to play again. You AL is dead or living Greyhawk is dead. And, but like five years later, it's still going. And then there's more changes. And the same people who said it was dead five years ago are saying it's dead again. And after you see that enough times, you realize that this is just the natural cycle of things, right? It's just it's just the way things go. And it, maybe the new rules are not for you, but they are for someone. I appreciate that everyone in our community is so passionate about mm-hmm. their games and their characters and their experiences and are willing to share that with us. But in this moment, it is so intense. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is crazy, and I I don't have the the experience of of, of you or some of the uh, longer standing community members. And right now, it's like my anxiety is just off the charts because I just want to make yeah. everyone happy. And right now <laughs> that is not <laughs> happening. <laughs> right. And, and you never can. So why don't we talk about season nine? Uh, if you, if you don't mind, since Absolutely. That, those, uh, since those new, um, the new rules, the new format just went out in dragon plus recently. Yes. Um, do you, do you want to give us a, a highlight of what those, the, the new campaign and the new, uh, seasonality rules? Sure. So, um, the new campaign that we are introducing, um, I believe in May, June, is called Dreams of the Red Wizards, and it's tied in with the hardcover release of Ghosts of Saltmarsh. I have to keep making sure that I don't mix up the titles. Um, so hmm. uh, Dreams of the Red Wizards is going to be a non-seasonal narrative that the players are going to be able to shape with their actions. So we'll be sending out... Um, I believe the plan is to send out surveys after the conclusion of, you know, uh, the short little story arcs. For this instance, um, we've got Ashley Warren, who was uh, spearheading the Uncaged Anthology. She is writing three um, four-hour adventures. There's two tier two and one tier three. And then mm-hmm. in the third place, uh, so it'll be two, two tier adventures and then an epic 
written uh, by me and James Intercasso. Uh, no, oh. no, no pressure. No. Okay, so it sounds like there will be epics for the Red Wizards campaign? Yes, that is correct. So uh, it's going to be its own its own series. So it will still have the, the things that we are looking forward to um, in a typical AL season. It's just going to be not tied to a specific um, storyline. Like some of the, most of the AL season storylines have been tied to a hardcover. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is going to be more of like the 30,000 feet view versus sort of like the, the up close and personal uh, doings in the, in, around favorite. Okay. And and so this will be in addition to the regular AL season nine. Absolutely. Um, so going forward, we're going to have um, what's being called seasonality. When you have a season, when you make a season nine character, you're going to be able to play um, all of the season nine DDAL uh material that the admin team is putting out mostly the other admins um and you're going to have your season nine you're going to be able to play all of the ccc community created content Mm -hmm. you're going to have the dreams of the red wizard storyline and any of our current season agnostic material um, anything with a ddal zero zero on it okay um and go ahead oh i'm sorry uh, from there, you'll earn your ACP, your CCP, your downtime and renown, and your magic item unlock. Okay. And so you can still play with a Season 9 character. You could still play old seasonal adventures, right? You just don't get the unlock or the story awards. That is correct. Okay. Cool. As for your old, uh, the old Seasons 1 through 8 characters, you're still going to be able to play... The one through eight, um, the CCC material, dreams, and the season zero material, and that's where you're going to earn. You can still earn magic item unlocks from all of that material as well. Okay, so if you take an older season one through eight character, play it in season nine, you can still play it. You just won't earn the story awards or the unlocks. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. So, so the the fervor that we're hearing. Um, about we can't play it. It's not true. You can play it. You just don't unlock the, the magic items. That's correct. Okay. And another another issue that I've seen coming up is people are concerned that their, um, their characters aren't going to reach higher tiers. And we do intend to put out enough material in the Season 9 season to have all tiers of play. So it's not going to be strictly tiers 1 and 2. It will be tiers 1 through 4. Okay. So you will be able to advance your character to those levels that you enjoy playing. Cool. Awesome. I I like it. Yeah, I um I think once we get more questions answered and uh, we're able to put together our FAQ, which <laughs> I, I am going through, I think on our social media, we've got about 4,000 comments that I'm going through one by one and pulling for our, our FAQ to make sure that we don't miss anything. So that'll take us a little while longer than I expected, <laughs> but um, our FAQ will be coming out um, within the next week or two. That's some superhero level work right there. <laughs> yes, there's there's a lot of coffee in my oh, house right I now. Bet. I bet. So I'm excited that you're getting to write something. Um, could you talk, I, talk about your experiences yeah. with that? Uh, 
uh, yeah, the it's it's mostly terrifying. Um, <laughs> I have written so far one ale adventure for an admin project that should be releasing over the summer. Okay. I am currently putting the finishing touches on my author-only project, Mm -hmm. uh, which I will be premiering at Jasper's Game Day on May 11th, and then running at Origins. And then I'm learning everything from James and Tricasso as we are working on the Dreams of the Red Wizards epic together. There isn't much a better teacher than James, I'm guessing. It's this job has it's it's surreal because it's like oh do you want to work on this project and I'm like yes I think so <laughs> yes um, yes please but yeah so working with James has been a delight and uh, for one of our first planning sessions um, we got together online and we were talking about bouncing ideas back and forth with each other and just having having that to to learn from, you know, someone who's experienced and has written adventures that I enjoy running and playing is, is great. And I can't think of a better way to learn. Um, It's a lot better than me just sitting here at my desk and like, okay, we're going to try this. Mm -hmm. And then asking my husband for advice. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, having, um, having a multitude of teachers and people to learn from is, is a really great experience for sure. I mean, I've worked with James on many projects now and I have to say it is always a pleasure and it would be a pleasure to work with you as well. I am sure. Well, thank you. Uh, we'll see how this one goes. If they let me work on anything else, (laughs) I'm sure they will. So I want to just switch gears for a second. And, um, if someone out there uh, who's a D and D fan, but isn't familiar with adventurers league, um, what tips would you give them, you know, as a player, for you know getting into Adventures League with the upcoming uh, seasons? So, the first thing that I like to do is I read everything when I get a new game or something like at Christmas with my sisters. There'd be a game, and my sisters would open up, and I read the instructions. <laughs> that's that's what I do. So I would recommend that you um, that a new player would go on to our uh, the DMs Guild website has a players pack with all of the information. I would recommend reading um, the AL Players Guide. It'll give you an idea of how to create your character, and then there's an FAQ that covers a lot of those those questions that we couldn't just put into like a quick four page Mm -hmm. um, presentation. Um, My other recommendation is to, if you're able, if you're lucky enough to have um, an online or a, a local game store, I would recommend going and even just watching, you know, see how the mechanics go, see how the the different characters and the players interact. One of my one of my favorite things at a table is learning from other players. Like how, how do they role play? How do they voice their character? I'm, I'm not a voice user, but I've played with some amazing people who really inspire me to be a better role player. Like I, I want to bring something to the table to like give back to those players. Um, But watching, or if you're able to, I know a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people in our community who will stream on Twitch, their ale games and, if um, if you have a resource like that and you can just watch something and and get an idea for gameplay, I think that's the the best way to learn. Other than that, is just to try and and do it. 
um, find a game. You know, we're, we've always got people in the Facebook groups who are looking for games or we're, uh, there's Discord servers where you can go if, like, you don't have time or proximity to, to go to a game in person. You can try one out online. And I've really found that this to be an amazingly welcome commu welcoming community who, if you ask questions, there are so many people who are willing to give you the answers or help you look something up or invite you into a game or help you build a character or talk through a backstory. So just really dive right in. Okay, so uh, the Adventurers, uh, I'm sorry, the DMs Guild has that player's pack. And the same for DMs, correct? If you want to DM a game, there's a DM pack? You know, everything is combined into one resource. Okay. Uh, we did have two links, but if you download that player's pack, there's going to be um, an ALDM's guide as well as a player's guide. And the FAQ will cover questions from both. And then our content catalog is probably one of the most overlooked resources. Um, it has a listing of all the materials that are legal for Adventures League play. It's got um, clarifications on rules, on magic items, on how to handle specific uh, situations. So we've got a lot of um, a lot of good resources for DMs in there as well. Awesome. So uh, in the next few weeks, I think you're probably going to be pretty busy, not just being an admin, but going to conventions. Um, where could people find you at conventions in the near future? So um, on May 11th, I'm going to be in Michigan at an event for Jasper's Game Day, uh, which has been put together by the lovely Fenway Jones. Uh, it's a fundraiser for suicide awareness and prevention. And then after that, I'm going to be at Origins in June. Okay. And I will hopefully be running some tables as well as working at HQ to answer some questions because I can't give that up. That's my happy place. <laughs> cool. And I think you missed one. It's it's this little thing in Los Angeles. <gasps> oh, I forgot about that. Yes, <laughs> I am. Uh, we are going to be at D&D uh, &D Live uh, in L.A. on the 17th, 18th, and 19th. There you go. It's so big that I keep sort of forgetting that it's actually happening. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm going, okay, I got to go here. and I got, Oh, yeah, there's this little L.A. thing that's going on. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm I'm super excited, not only to go to L.A., it'll be my first time, but to uh, to meet some of the West Coast players and um, hopefully give them a, a good experience. And I know there's a lot of D&D &D players who haven't played AL before mm. because I've been getting those questions on our social media channels. Right. So I'm excited to meet them and hopefully bring them into the fold well, so they can see what we're about. Th they're coming in uh, playing an epic, so that's uh, generally one of the most exciting events you can play. So we'll, hopefully they will have a good experience there with that. I hope so, too. So uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about before we shut down here? I don't think so. I think we've mostly covered everything. Um, cool. I do have, I guess as a, a sort of personal plug, I've been working with um, some local conventions to, I make pronoun stickers mm -hmm. for gaming conventions that you can wear on your badge if you want to um, sort of easily present how you'd like to be addressed. Mm -hmm. uh, and cons and individuals can reach out to me on Twitter 
and we can work to get those out to your game days or to your stores to sort of um, make events more welcoming and inclusive to players that might feel uncomfortable going into a space where they're unknown. Sure. Going to going to any game store or any event where you're not familiar with people is a huge unknown. And if we can take just a little bit of that uh, uncertainty away from some, uh, from someone. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we'd absolutely like to to do that for them. Yeah, over the years, I've talked to so many people who, you know, who talk about that experience of going to a convention and just being welcomed in, and how much that not just changed their view of D and D or Adventures League or organized play, but you know, changed their life in in some ways. Or the opposite happened where they they were treated poorly, so it it started off on a bad note and they had to to kind of work around that in order to get into the hobby. So I think that's so that important. That was almost me. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I, uh, I went, well, I went to a convention and did not have a good time. Mm-hmm. And it was the second time that I'd ever to gone to an event like that. And I almost quit right there. I was like, you know what, this experience isn't worth it. I had a good time, but uh, right. this isn't, this isn't what I want to do. Yeah. So I think that might be, too, why I strive so hard to to make everyone feel welcome, because I've been there and nobody nobody wants that. No one wants to turn people away. You know, we want to make sure everyone is having a good time. So that's important to me. Okay, so if anyone wants to follow you on Twitter and or uh, learn more about those pronoun stickers, where do they follow you on Twitter? Uh, My handle is L-A-D-Y-D-Z-R-A, Lady DeZora. Okay. And if they want to get on Facebook and learn more about the Adventures League, what's the best way to do that? So we have a brand new Facebook page where it is facebook.com. Let me actually make sure that this is the right one. No problem. Uh, facebook.com slash Adventures League. Okay. And that is our main page where we're going to post all of the information when we release um our adventures when we have events and then from there there are two groups tied to that page one is for players and dms alike it's the entire community and then we have a separate dms group which is potentially a little more spoily and uh game mechanics discussion so uh, players might want to stay out of that one. okay but dms or organizers might want to get in there Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of good feedback on like, hey, I've got this situation at a table or how do you run this encounter? And there's there's a lot of really good voices and feedback that you can get um, in that group. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about your experiences, Amy. Uh, I really appreciate uh-huh. it. And thank you. Yeah, thank you for having and, me. And thank you for all the work that you do going through 4,000 posts to find the questions. Uh, Yes, thank you. Send coffee. It'll be great. <laughs> okay. You can send all your coffee to uh, Lady Desura on on Twitter. That's me. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And uh, now back to our regu- regularly scheduled show. Well, Sean, I, I hope that interview went well because, I mean, you're recording it an hour and a half from when we're recording this. I have a feeling it, it was great, Chris. Yeah, I mean, linear podcasting time doesn't... Uh, up- you know, exist to you and you and I, since we're podcasting in nonlinear time. We always do. That, that may be some sort of spoiler for some movie at some point. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Uh, cause that's all I'm going to say about that. Our, our main topic for the day is adventure writing hooks and opening. So getting back on our, our, on our next part. So part five, this is part five of the series about adventure writing. 
So we're talking about hooks and openings and whatnot. So I guess we should start with the background, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me step back for just a second and say, so we've talked about in the previous four parts of this uh, ongoing theme of adventure writing, um, we've talked about uh, adventure types. You know, we've talked about the general things. So now we're actually going to get into the nitty gritty of what goes into an adventure when you write it. Mm -hmm. And even if you do not ever plan to actually sit down, write an adventure, put it out there like on the DMs Guild or sell it or, you know, give it to friends. All of this information is helpful, even if you are just like writing a homebrew thing, uh, because it gives you something to think about. It gives you uh, a an outline, if you will, that is very useful for getting everything that you need into the adventure when that terrible moment of player interaction with your adventure occurs. Sound good? Sounds perfectly valid and wonderful. Okay. So the very first thing that I like to do when I'm writing an adventure and I've thought about it, maybe done a brief outline is to give an adventure background. So that what, is number one. That, that, that is, is the first thing. That is the first thing. And if you look at many published adventures, not just from Wizards, but from many other publishers, is they, they will start with, you know, first they will usually start with, hey, this is an adventure for characters of levels blah through blah, and it should take six hours to run. Um, and that, you know, that's usually a very short thing. Then they will go go on and give you a longer adventure background. So what this does is gives the DM the information that they need to let um, to let themselves know, so you as the adventure writer are letting the DM know, kind of the scope of the adventure. What has come before the adventure that has led up to this point? Does that sound reasonable christopher yeah i think it also um gives some like having that background really helps when you are um presenting things to player characters and they start asking questions because mm -hmm. sometimes the players will do things that you don't expect and having that background allows you to improvise better mm -hmm. because you kind of understand where all of this material is coming from then yep and it's always a careful uh, line to walk when you are writing these adventure backgrounds because you want to give the important information. You want the DM uh, to know all of the situation around what's happening in the adventure. but you, and, you, and you want to be entertaining, right? You want, when you write an adventure for publication, you want a, D, a DM or the reader to kind of have fun reading it. Right. To be interesting. Yes. But you don't want to provide too much information that can lead to confusion. Um, even if it is the greatest story ever told, if it is not relevant to the adventure that the DM will be running, it can lead to confusion and missing of other important information that the DM will need. So. I try to keep my adventure background to less than 500 words if possible for a four-hour adventure. Now, if you're writing a longer adventure, obviously the background might be longer. But even for a longer adventure, 
you want the information, uh, again, to be relevant. And you want to put the important information in the adventure itself and not in the background. So you don't want to go, you know, in the beginning, this God created this planet, right? Unless that is super relevant to the story, forget the in the beginning stuff. Start with what the characters are going to be interacting with and think on that rather than um, a, a big long backstory. Yes. Uh, I, yeah. What you said, would you, you keep, you keep doing that where I have like nothing to say, nothing much to say afterwards. I I I suppose I could, I suppose I could say this though. Um, my, my big tip for doing this is, you should just vomit this part out to, at the beginning. Cause this really helps you kind of like give your, give your premise for yourself. So you kind of know what's going on um, later. Like you have your cool idea or whatever, but like uh, with your background, like, Oh, that it kind of explains to you, especially the writer when you're mm-hmm. writing this, like who your bad guy is or why this dungeon is like this or why this location is like this or the situation that's going on here. Like it, it really helps you kind of like get that first um, flow of information out there so that it gives you something to refer back to while you're writing your adventure. If you need stuff. Yeah. Um, and then once you've written the adventure, this is the first thing you should go back and rewrite <laughs> you based took on the everything words. that you've, yeah, based on everything that you've just written. Yep. You took the words right out of my mouth. Um, when, when I'm writing an adventure, you know, I will, I will do a bit of writing then I will stop. And when I come back, I always read that adventure background again. And is it still relevant? And can I add something to what I've already written based on this adventure background? Um, do I need to change the adventure background because I came up with a cool idea later? So you are absolutely correct. And what you put in the show notes um, on this point is really, really good. And and it's why. This adventure background should say why the adventure is happening. That mm-hmm. that That's a great point. Um, if it doesn't directly talk to why the adventure is happening, it probably doesn't need to be in the adventure background. Yeah, I mean, if you if you don't, if you don't need a why for your adventure is happening, then you shouldn't have a background, right? Mm-hmm. Like, right. I mean, it it can be as simple as like, well, my uh, my son was kidnapped. Go save him. Yep. I yep. mean, that's enough of a why. If and I mean, the background could be, well, I'm the king and my son was kidnapped because I'm the king and that's worth money. The ki- the kid's worth money, right? Like, so yeah. that's a background right there. Yep. The dragon is hungry. That's. Huh. That's an adventure background right there. That's true, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, they're not the most exciting backgrounds. Like, they can be more complex and fleshed out. Like, oh, uh, my daughter or son is being sacrificed to the dragon because they sacrificed the firstborn uh, child of the royal family every 75 years because otherwise the dragon will go on a rampage. Yep. By the way, I think I just stole some version of the uh, plot from Dragon Slayer. <laughs> or every other dragon story that was done before 1800. Yeah, exactly. Yep. There you go. <laughs> so yeah. uh, there, there you go. Like that's, those are, those are adventure backgrounds. They, they ex- ex- spell out exactly why the adventure is happening. Yep. So, you know, you, you once you've done that, then the next part is the adventure overview. And yeah. uh, Go, you, you go ahead and talk about that, Chris. Cool, thanks. So I think this one is you need to hit all the high points of the adventure in as clear and concise a manner as possible. So, like, what the characters will be doing as they're moving through this scenario, the opposition that they'll be facing as they're moving through it, at least on a high level, uh, the intended flow of the narrative if there is an intended flow, and uh, what the opposition is doing and how, how they plan on accomplishing it if that's in there. 
Mm-hmm. I think those are the four big points. I can't think of any other ones. Can you, Sean? Not really. I think you you've hit the highlight is how is this adventure supposed to play out? And if it doesn't play out in the way that's expected, what are the probable um, scenarios that will come up? If you hit those in your adventure overview, you're doing fine. Um, the DM should be able to read the adventure overview and run the adventure um, pretty much, right? Um, they obviously don't have all the details of what the rooms look like or you know what the NPCs act like, but they should have a good idea of how to, to run that adventure just from the adventure overview. Yeah, I mean, uh, a solid adventure overview will let a DM improvise the whole adventure if they need to. Correct. Uh, it might not be great, it might not be perfect, and it might not be well put together because they're improvising a bunch of stuff, but at least they'll have the gist of what is supposed to be happening. Right, they know the they know the beginning, they know the middle, and they know the end. I agree. Yep. Uh, so the next thing are hooks. So hooks are, why don't you tell us what hooks are, Sean? Hooks are generally, why would a character want to go on this adventure? Um, so this is generally given to the DMs as ways to entice characters to get interested in what happens in the adventure. And the the reason I'm adding this is a a a good DM will know the players well enough if they are running like a home campaign so they're familiar with their players and their characters um, and be able to alter things on the fly enough to really hook the, the players and their characters into wanting to go on this adventure. Um, some There are two hooks that you can generally rely on which is you're a hero, so go do heroic things. Or you are a mercenary, here's some money. Go do this thing. But if you can go deeper than that with your adventure hook, then you are adding some dramatic elements to uh, the stories of the characters that will deepen and broaden uh, the player's experience in this ongoing story. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That's exactly it. Like you and th- this is one of those times that you and me are exactly on the same page. Like mm-hmm. I, I can't disagree with anything that you're saying. Normally I would like have a, another thing to say about it, but I don't like okay. this is, that's what the hooks are supposed to do. Right. So, so now what we can try to do is we can try to give DMS out there or writers, uh, ways to take a generic hook and make it fit better um, for their particular group of players. Sure, that is a great idea. So, um, do you have an example of a generic hook? Um, a generic hook. Well, let's let's go right to what you were talking about. Uh, every seventy-five years, uh, the the king has to sacrifice his firstborn to this dragon or the dragon lays waste to the kingdom. Cool. Here's a good one. Um, if somebody has the noble background, the, um, the noble is related to the person or is the person that needs to, the, this character is the, is the person or is related to the person that's going to be sacrificed. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can look, the idea is look at whatever the character's backgrounds are. Yep. Uh, 
and you can use those to tie them to what's going on. Like if it's the folk hero, maybe the maybe the princess or the prince, the firstborn person is a friend, like a childhood friend, and you can just turn around and be like, or really you can do this for any character. You can be like, hey, you know this person. Tell me about your friendship when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Like that is a completely valid thing you can do to your characters. Yep, a character has a sage background or some sort of learned background. Um, they read in a book that this time this sacrifice is not going to be like all the other sacrifices. Uh, this time something terrible is going to happen, according to this prophecy, if the sacrifice is carried out. Oh, that's good. That's really um, good. So, so now there's this added knowledge that only this character has that something bad will come. Yeah, so not, not is it about saving the person, it's about stopping the terrible thing from happening regardless of the person mm-hmm. uh, you you can also use organizations to act as surrogates for personal hooks so if if i mean the the meta orgs or the uh the power groups that have been established in D up to this point the harpers um the lord's alliance the uh what's the the emerald enclave um if you make your characters members of those groups, then you have the groups have a stake in something that's happening. Then you can give the characters these stronger hooks um, using those groups. Yeah, absolutely. And you can sort of play with tropes and things like that to make it even more interesting and uh, raise some more questions. Um, who are the the, the ne'er-do-wells faction Oh, the Zentarum? Yeah. So, like, if someone from the Zentarum's like, I really, really need you to go and save this person from being eaten by a dragon because, you know, they're supposed to be a sacrifice, then you're like, well, why? Because, you know, Zentarum. And that could be any number of reasons. Like, maybe they want the bad thing to happen, or maybe they know that a bad thing will happen if the sacrifice goes through, or maybe this person that's going to be sacrificed is important to them. Like, there could be any number of questions tied to that. Right. So, you know, any of those things become then deeper hooks um, for this generic, you know, do this heroic thing by saving the sacrifice and killing the dragon. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, so that those, that's really those are really good tips for for t- turning generic hooks into personal hooks. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just if you're not I mean, we are talking about designing adventures. So we are talking about writing for um, uh, that. We're talking about taking something that's for publication or writing something for publication, which is, you know, you can come up with the generic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a way to make the hooks more interesting when you don't know who your players are going to be? Uh, well, as as a writer, yes, you use those organizations. Um, because even if... Even, so those organizations are Forgotten Realms organizations, right? Yeah, but you can you can substitute out organizations for anything, right? Right. Like, the, the, they're all sort of placeholders for tropes, right? You, you've got the you've got the, the Harpers are are like the spy, save the world spies, right? They're the sneaky. You could even do like thieves guild sort of things for them because they're sort of you know the sneaky, subversive, uh, subterfuge group. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Zentarum are the mercenaries, so. Uh, although they are not necessarily good, they could still be substituted for any sort of power group. 
um, the Emerald Enclave are the nature folks, right? So mm-hmm. any sort of mm-hmm. group that druidic uh, balance, any any group that's into that. Uh, the, the Lord's Alliance are the the uh, what am I? What's the word I'm looking for? That's the a arist- political organization, it's, right? The aristocrats, right? Yeah. The the nobles, the wealthy merchants, all those people that want to keep the status quo. Yeah, and, and by politics, I mean like uh, uh, public-facing politicians. Sure, yep. That's that's what I meant by that. Like they are, like you said, the nobles, the lords, the people that are in the public eye. Yep. And then the Order of the Gauntlet, they are the you know the goody goodies, right? They are the lawful good, the paladins, the uh, you know who want to do good for good's sake. Mm-hmm. So. But you could also throw in any sort of guild, any sort of conglomeration power group. You could do, um, you know, racial groups. You know, the elves want something. The the uh, the gnomes have a, an enclave in the forest near the dragon's cave, so they want a certain thing, right? The the dragon is decimating their home with or without the sacrifice, because they live close to them. Mm-hmm. Right? So they want and, something done. And elves and gnomes can fit into that Emerald Enclave um, sure. mold pretty easily, actually, right. if you want them to. Or they can fit into other ones. It's it's really like, if if, if you're using a, if you're going to be writing and it's going to be the Forgotten Realms, you can also sort of think of how it can be genericized. And you can even write a little sidebar in there if you're writing this for publication yep. or for, uh, for how to genericize some of that stuff yep. for other things if you want to use it in different adventures. So the, the key is to just think about the motivations of different people and how those motivations could impact a character who is associated with the group. It doesn't have to be a member of, but actually could be an enemy of, or you know, it could be somehow tangentially related to any of those groups. And then you could just always fall back on tropes like, you know, the prophecy, the the chosen one who is meant to do blank, you know, all of those things give a character a different association with the action, um, the plot of the adventure. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So is that all for hooks? That's all I have for hooks. Yeah, that's about all I have for hooks too. I don't have anything more to add. So let's move on to our last bit of this, which is the, um, the opening scene. So how you start after all that's after the hook, I suppose. Yep. For me, the opening scene is very important. uh, And it's more tied to the length of the adventure than anything else. Um, If you have a an adventure that's only going to last two hours, you really want to hit the ground running. You don't have a lot of time to sit around in the bar and chat. uh, If you want to to keep this tight you know, paced adventure flowing well. Now, if if you're writing an adventure that is for characters, you know, it's supposed to take characters from level one to, to 13, then you have the time to do a little bit more of a slow build up. But even then you, you want from the opening moments of the adventure, you want there, if the DM wants it, you want there to be some action, something cool happening. I think I think I, I like everything you said, but I think one of the most important things that you have to do with your opening scene is look at whatever your unity of effect is and make sure you hit that as hard as you possibly can. Yep. Like that theming, that that tone, whatever those things are, they should be there 
strong in your opening scene because that helps that opening scene is your first impression. Mm-hmm. Um, like the hooks are the hooks. And maybe if you're, if you're using your hooks as your opening scene, then you can try to put that there. But really, if you're writing this thing out, um, and for somebody else to utilize like that opening scene, that's where you want to really hammer down and make that, that feel exist. Right. So what, what I'm doing, if I'm writing this adventure where the, the prince or princess is going to be sacrificed to the dragon, uh, at first level, I'm starting with maybe a bunch of baby drakes uh, attack the characters, whether it's in the town or as they're traveling, um, to show that it's this is the time when dragons go crazy. And unless the sacrifice is made, the dragons go completely crazy from the largest dragon up in its uh, you know cave, mountaintop cave, to even these little baby lizardy dragon types um, are starting to get agitated and are attacking when they normally don't. So you're starting with a combat, you're starting with action and you're emphasizing that theme of draconic um, threat. Yeah. And if you don't want to start with action for some reason, and that's still your theme and your unity of effect, then um, you can have those be the rumors of what's going on in the world at the moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, also like you can have something dragony in the location that is, uh, that is being uh, utilized to for this opening scene. Like, so like maybe you're in a bar and there's a dragon's head on the wall, right? Like that's stuffed. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe a a bit of a fire starts because, you know, foreshadowing the fact that there's going to be a fire breathing dragon later. Yeah. Like all those things together. Like it's all just, uh, it's all just pointing at the things that are going to be coming. Right. Or you start with an execution because, uh, some commoner, some or some knight even, tried to rescue the prince and get him out of the castle because the prince is in prison right now uh, to keep him safe until he can be sacrificed. Uh, so this knight was trying to break him out and was caught, and so the king had him executed um, for treason for trying to rescue the prince. Yeah, that that puts a whole giant light on exactly what's going on there, which is like, well, the prince is being protected and we're going to kill anybody who tries to free him. And like an execution is actually supposed to be the thing that's happening. But there's but that's supposed to be the execution of the prince or the princess. Right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's a really good idea for unity effect in, in our example. So, yeah, that that is how I would construct my opening scene. Those, that would be the big thing that I would think of, because like you said, Sean, you can do a lot of different things. But um, I think if you hit that theme of unity of uh, in your unity of effect in your tone and whatnot, then you have done exactly that. The hit the ground running. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Well, that's our episode on, uh, on hooks, hooks and openings. Mm-hmm. And that's our episode on hooks and openings. I uh, guess we'll get out of here. Let's do a few Patreon shout outs. Uh, James Sweetland, Zach Goins, Troy Sandlin, Will Doyle, the mad wizard Merwin himself, who backs our other you know, podcast for this Patreon. Thank you so much, Sean. Ovi Waxberg, Cindy Moore, Miko Froelich, Kevin Minorzak, The Old School DM, Chris Constantine, Eric Mengi, Eric Simon, Victor Wyatt, Brett, Just Brett, and The Rainmaker. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down With D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page, and for uh, $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. But, you know, the next one's better, right, Sean? Oh, yes, because $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes and you have access to the misdirected Mark Slack room where you can chat with us about anything that you want to talk about. 
Mm-hmm. You know, Sean, the thing that I really appreciate, though, if people don't want to, you know, throw us a few bucks every month is to give us iTunes reviews. Mm-hmm. iTunes reviews really help, although reviews anywhere really help. But we just got a couple more and they were really nice reviews, which I greatly appreciate. Yes. Thank you so much for leaving those. Uh, it makes us feel like we're not just talking into the void. Um, also, uh, everyone out there, thank you so much for listening those who, to our, because we're well over 2,000 listeners a month right now, which I greatly appreciate. Thank you yeah. so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean, where can we find you on the Internet? Uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter, at Sean Merwin. How about you, Chris? Uh, you can hit me up, at Misdirected Mark. That is this show and the network's Twitter handle. You can also go to Facebook. We have a Facebook group for Misdirected Mark Productions. I, I, I check it now and again, so if you want to message us there. Um, you can do that. You can also just go to the website, misdirectedmark.com, where you can catch this show and other great shows, such as The Bonus Experience. That's where Ray and Monica, they're two old friends, and they explore gameplay and design through the lens of diversity, while also sharing some of their dumb, dumbest humor gaming stories and the dumbest humor that gaming has to offer. And they will also tell you to just go die mad about it. <laughs> Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Hey, Sean, what are we going to do now? We are going to go kill some dragons. Ooh, dragon hunt! You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me! You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me! You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me! Who's down with D&D? This whole party! You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me! You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me! I'm down with D&D? Yeah, you know me! Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me!